It's the New England Take. I'm your host, AJ Kirstead. Be sure to check out nhtalkradio.com to get all the back episodes of the show and my new website, thenewenglandtake.com. Be sure to uh, check that out. Uh, we're hoping to really expand that. So if you're an interested writer in the state or photographer or want, pr- content producer, please do reach out. Uh, thenewenglandtake at gmail.com. I'd love to uh, start getting some contributors for that site. Excited to be joined this week by Representative uh, Keith Amelin. He's a New Hampshire representative, Republican. He's the vice chair of the Commerce and Consumer Affairs uh, Committee over at uh, Concord, over at the State House, and he represents New Boston, Mount Vernon, and Lindeborough. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, AJ. Great to be with you. So I wanted to have a chance to talk to someone that's over in the State House that isn't a reporter, because I usually speak to reporters all the time. Um, talk about what's up with, with the Republican side. Uh, you have a narrow majority going on over at the House, which obviously can cause a bit of like, Okay, we got to kind of play nice to a certain extent, maybe sort of. Uh, I mean, after the first two weeks of things beginning to uh, take place, so what's the atmosphere? Yeah, that's a great question. That's certainly something very different uh, in the atmosphere at the state house this term. Um, so far, I think it's actually worked out for the better that we have uh, a lot of collegiality between Democrats and Republicans. Um, we both understand we have to work together um, because of the slim majority. So I think I know if you look through the archives of you, you know decades or maybe even a century ago at the state house when a similar thing, I think it was over a hundred years ago, a similar thing happened. It was very contentious, and uh, I was sort of expecting that. But so far, it's been uh, you know cats and dogs getting along. So that's great. I, I mean. Do you attribute some of that to the fact that we're finally, for the most part, past a lot of the people freaking out about COVID and getting getting in the house? I mean, we're further away from some of the chaos that that was triggering stuff when it comes to uh, abortion and Trump and things like that. It's it seems like it's everyone has their own agendas that they're coming into to the state house, obviously wanting to get in place, but a lot of the more na- na- nationwide, really heated subjects don't seem to be as uh, prevalent, at least as I'm. Per- perusing Twitter and seeing what people are uh, talking about. Yeah, you know, it it is kind of a, a an eerily calm period. Um, so who knows knock what will up next? But yeah, knock on wood. Um, but the last two years uh, have been, you know, dominated by COVID. It was such a strange time to be at the State House uh, during the COVID pandemic. And, you know, kudos to the speaker and his staff and the majority leader for all the creative ways they came up with to have the house still conduct business um, during that pandemic, because you know you sort of have to cater to the lowest common denominator. There are people with health issues. There are people who are, um, you know, they're just hesitant about going outside. Maybe some of that has to do with, with what news channel they're tuned into, you know, uh, where they're getting their information from. Um, but yeah, so, so far it's been normal. You know, we haven't had, there's some mask wearing still in the state house, um, but it's, you know, that's wear a mask or don't wear a mask. That's uh, that's your choice. Right. So, yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's basically the way it's going to be forever. There's going to be a handful of people that still decide to wear a mask, but all the power to you. If you feel like it, it's hard to talk to you and understand what you're saying half the time, but uh, it makes you feel yeah. safe. I'm happy to at least have people in person because it's just a totally different atmosphere than Zoom and online for having uh, political discussions. It is. And so it's also, you know, the House changes over 
30 to 40% every term. So there's new people. Um, and it's hard to get to know somebody on a Zoom call or what they say on a social media. It, it's nothing like it is when you actually are face-to-face and having a discussion. Um, it's so important in building relationships with you know, people across the aisle and uh, freshmen that come into the house. So let's talk about specifically the right side of the aisle. I mean, coming into this term, I mean, generally speaking with the Republicans in this state, I mean, the Democrats have their siloing of different factions and such, obviously. But with New Hampshire, there's very much a split between the more um, libertarian Republicans and the more conservative traditional Republicans have their own agendas that they're that they come at things with Um, as we as you start looking at the legislation that's being proposed and the people that are coming over to Concord to discuss what they want to do. um, What's it like within the party? I mean, is there a singular drive for for some of the bills that are being proposed or is it kind of a mixed bag with it still being this early in the session? Um, I think it's, I'd say mixed bag. Um, one of the things that's great about our, our house, our, our legislature is people come from all different walks of life. Um, lots of different things motivate people to run for office in the state house and anybody can put in a bill and every bill submitted has to be voted on. So we get, uh, ideas that are across the spectrum and um even some ideas that might seem outlandish and uh like people might ask why did someone put a bill in like that even some of the the more um long shot bills are actually important for starting discussions and um you know about uh the role of government or you know maybe the maybe the law it's trying to affect was 100 years old and it's time for an update, even if it's not that exact bill. So I really appreciate how, uh, even though the, the house might seem turbulent, um, it's actually a good thing because it's, uh, it gives you a broad spectrum of representation from our, our society and from our voters. Um, and I think the end result after it gets through the house, the Senate, the governor weighs in, um, uh, we have, you know, much better outcomes than if the state was governed by just a few lawyers that were highly paid to be in office right so yeah and regarding the discussion though you got to be careful with what exactly it is you're proposing so you don't come across like a bit of a troll necessarily or just taking it so far that both sides of the uh the aisle end up uh, going after you i'm definitely not talking about joe sweeney this past week <laughs> <laughs> For instance, <laughs> for instance, if I if I was to pull someone out of nowhere, I mean, I wouldn't say anything like that. It, it's already been knocked out, so everyone can move on. I, you know, lives. he's probably going to hear this, but uh, I, I imagine uh, you know the, the co-sponsors was were Sweeney and Alexander and Barry, right? So I imagine them sitting around drinking one day and saying like, "What should we make the fees?" And they kept saying like higher and higher numbers until they got to something ten thousand percent increase. Like some crazy amount of signatures. I'm like, guys, <laughs> slow down. I mean, you just you just look like you're you're just trying to make a and, discussion, and no one's going to take seriously. I'm like, come the, on. The funny thing is, they made the two dollar fee for the state representative zero. <laughs> so oh they made all all the higher off offices were like a ten thousand percent increase, and the two dollars went to zero for for the state rep. I think that's an indication that it was a what I call a conversation starter. And, yeah, you know. It's a nice way to put it. It's a very nice way to put it. (laughs) 
Well, did pay off. The, I don't think it necessarily paid off, but you never know. Things change over time. Uh, all right. So let, let's talk about some of the stuff that, that matters uh, on the Republicans, but especially with you. I, I think uh, so we're talking to Representative Keith Amon of uh, he represents New Boston, Mount Vernon, Lindeboro. Um, I mean, you're on the, the vice chair of the Commerce and Consumer Affairs Committee, and you, you have an obvious interest in digital assets and nuclear technology. Uh, so there's a whole huge can of worms that we've talked about a little bit before, especially with the crypto side. But what you let's start off with maybe the the digital currency side of the side of things. What are some big things you're coming into this year hoping to either investigate or accomplish? Yeah, great question. I guess I'd first like to thank my constituents for letting me uh, pursue some of these higher, you know, level interests. Or, you know, as I said, our house we come from lots of different backgrounds, so we bring our own expertise, our own individual expertise to the house. And I think this is something that I can contribute that will benefit the state as a whole. Um, and uh, so, in the area of digital assets, um, the governor created. A commission. It was the first executive order that he signed in 2022. So last year, the very first executive order he signed was to create a governor's commission on cryptocurrencies and digital assets. And uh, there was one house position on that commission and the speaker, um, you know, thank you to the speaker. He appointed me as the house uh, representative. And so we've met about once a month and um, members of the commission included experts from the public. Um, uh, some of them are very uh, well known in the in the cryptocurrency uh, space. Um, and then also representatives from the banking uh, department, the attorney general's office, um, uh, the securities division of the secretary of state. Uh, we had a representative from the credit union uh association and mm. and from there's a banking association so a broad spectrum of the financial interests in the state as well as the regulators and our the governor gave us a charge to basically come up with recommendations about how new hampshire could be a leader in this area um and so we put together at the uh it was at the uh direction of bill ardinger william ardinger um who is a, uh, a well-known tax attorney in the state. He was the chair of the commission. He did a lot of the heavy lifting on on putting the report together. The report has, it's about 50 pages. It's got lots of good recommendations for the state, you know, for our regulators, for our university system, for the legislature. It's been delivered to the governor. It, it was delivered, I think, right after New Year's. So, and he was busy with his inauguration. Um, and so he's reviewing it and there we expect there to be a public announcement a public release of that any day now um one interesting thing about new hampshire our current financial system our current global financial system um was launched in the 1940s in bretton woods uh the, the bretton woods accord uh, where member nations from all over the world, uh, representatives from member nations came and they established the current financial system. Um, this is my opinion. I don't think I'm wrong. I think digital assets, cryptocurrency uh, are going to be the foundation of the next big financial system. It's a very, the space right now is kind of the Wild West. Um, you know, everybody knows about FTX's collapse. Um, I've been, 
monitoring involved in the space for over a decade. So I've seen some of these things before, um, and I would caution people to not, um, even though there are some hiccups in the growing influence of the space, and FTX is a big one, um, that it's not going away. And even recently, an IRS, like a senior IRS official said, cryptocurrency is not going away, and that we need to learn how to uh, interface with that space. Um, so New Hampshire has the potential to be one of the leading jurisdictions in uh, cryptocurrency and digital assets, if we do it right. And a lot of that involves educating lawmakers, regulators, the general public into you know what it is and and why it could be so so influential um so do you so do you think so this is so many aspects of crypto i mean this whole multi-day conferences that discuss all aspects of these sorts of things yeah but, but at the state level for for sorting it out i mean what what are a couple of the most important aspects that that should be considered by lawmakers that I'm hoping that you're going to be going into proposing over this next year or two here. Is it consumer protection? Is it making it more legitimate within financial, so financial institutions know what to do with it? Is it um, sorting out some of the law enforcement angles of it, like we saw with FTX, which obviously was $8 billion just went MIA. Unfortunately, they managed to recover $5 million as of this week. Supposedly, God knows where they got that money from. Kind of interested to hear where, where exactly that so much money was just sitting and just was gone for, for a couple months. I mean, what, what are some of the important things in the early days that at the state level you're hoping to accomplish? Yeah, so back in 2017, I want to, I want to say uh, New Hampshire, I was a co-sponsor of the bill then. New Hampshire uh, had one of the first pieces of legislation about uh, money transmission uh, through money transmitter laws, applying it to uh, cryptocurrency only aspects. So if you had, let's say you had pick a coin, right? Uh, if you had Litecoin and you wanted to ch exchange it with me for um, Bitcoin or whatever, you know, whatever coin it was, some digital to digital uh, swap uh, that we exempted money trans we exempted people doing that from state money transmitter laws, but we kept the consumer protection aspect of it in place. So if you defrauded me in that transaction, I would have a recourse and I could get up to triple, I think, damages from you. Um, so that was kind of one of the first things. Uh, what we did last year was we implemented, and this is current law now, uh, it's so the the uniform law commission is a group of attorneys and representatives from different states that try to come up with uh, standardized laws between states and uh the commercial code is generally left at the state level so the idea is to standardize uh the commercial code between states so that when they when one business in one jurisdiction interfaces with another one that the laws are similar Super so important. they came yeah stop me if i get too in the weeds but they came up with a brand new article 12 which deals with uh digital assets and we were we were the first state to adopt the most recent version of that um so now here's why that's important lots of people uh who are in the geek space right who understand the stuff very well uh understand that one of the one of the um most beneficial things about digital assets is that you can custody them yourself and no one else can control it. So um, think about like hiding physical cash under the mattress. 
cryptocurrency allows for that in the digital space, that same aspect. But if you lose the keys that represent whatever your assets are, it could be a million dollars, right? If you lose those keys, then those assets vanish. No one can recover them for you. So um, most people aren't that comfortable with their own technical skills to be able to do that, and especially do it over a long term. Um, you know, so the digital asset space, it's really about creating intergenerational wealth in that space. That's the long goal. Um, it's not just, you know, month to month or a temporary period. It's about long term, your your children and you're leaving wealth to your children and your grandchildren. So um, since most people aren't that technically savvy, they rely on a third party to, to store those things for them. That's called custody to be a, a custodian of those assets. And so the UCC Article 12 develops rules around the, the custodians so that they have you know, well-defined set of guidelines. So that way when you give your assets over to them, that they're well cared for. They're not, it's not a fly-by-night operation that is going to get hacked and lose your keys and then your assets disappear, right? So that, that's why that was important. Yeah. And we even saw with FTX, which was around for a very long time, had considerable international audience of people investing in the reason why they managed to get so many billions of dollars invested into them. Um, it's like, right. That's the problem with it. It's, now there, there's ways of enforcing some of that, but I mean, it, it's so hard to track it down. All right, we got about uh, two and a half minutes left in this segment. So I just want to quickly bring up, like, do you, is there any prospects for discussing nuclear in any way over this next uh, session? Yeah, so let me put a plug in. Um, so I'm the chair of a uh, commission to study nuclear technology. Here's my plug. If you want to find out about that commission, go to nu nuclearnh.com, nuclearnh.com, and you'll be able to access all of our meetings. We have uh, video recordings of uh, all our presenters. The commission will run until December 2023, so we're about we're about a quarter of the way into the lifetime of the commission. Uh, our next meeting will be um, Monday, January 23rd at 1.30. It's held in Concord at the Department of Environmental Services. Uh, that information will be posted Monday on that website. Um, there's a mailing list. If you're interested, you can sign up to, to receive mailing uh, information. And our presenters will be represented from the Nuclear Regulatory Commission on, on Monday the 23rd. and. Westinghouse Nuclear, those will be our presenters. So we're trying to uh, have a mix of, so we're in the information gathering stage at this point, but we want a mix of regulators uh, and, and you know industry associations, but also manufacturers of what are called small modular reactors. That's really the focus. Small modular reactors are, as, as, as the name implies, they're reactors that are small, they're built so they don't, they can't melt down. Uh, and uh, they're modular, so you can put them close to the source of where they're uh, used. And one early application for small modular reactors is, and this is happening in Wyoming, they're taking a coal power plant, which has all of the infrastructure to take heat and turn it into electricity. And instead of using coal to make the heat, they're putting their putting a small modular reactor in place. And so they're repurposing the coal plant to be a zero emissions plant and still maintaining most of the jobs for that area because they're retraining. Uh, a lot of the jobs translate directly, but the coal specific aspect, they're retraining those employees to, uh, to understand the nuclear aspect of it. So um, 
there's lots of really cool things coming in that space. Um, we're probably a few years early, but now's the time to uh, ramp up our expertise in the area so that we're one of the first places to uh, take advantage. DC, my God, it's just been bananas since the since Biden was put into office, but especially in the the last few weeks. But I mean, something that really stood out this past week was the fact of all sorts of classified documents were found over in his yeah. uh, Biden's properties. Whether it was next to his Corvette, next to his Corvette. Talk about the total <laughs> stereotype coming. I'm not calling him corrupt, but let's just say in theory, it comes across very corrupt. Oh yeah, I kept all these classified documents next to my sport. Yeah, in a garage. the timing of the release is strange too right so they, they knew yeah. about some of this before the november election and waited to uh you know disclose it so yeah it, it just makes it i mean maybe they it didn't they found out like right around that time say they're being totally honest with all of it sure uh, it, it just makes them look terrible it is yeah. such bad bad imagery and politics around the situation it makes the it encourages the maga republicans of which i am not one of uh that to to just continue to needle the democrats and the fbi and everyone is being corrupt with the current state of what's going on in congress right now i mean good god they're just opening a can of worms yeah, I guess the most interesting thing to me is how, I mean, this is from my political perspective. So um, every news, every news source is biased. Yeah. Uh, some are biased from the left, some are from the right. I'm suspicious of the ones who claim to be unbiased. Um, I I wish there was a, a resurgence of old school journalism, you know, um, that would be awesome. Um, but so the the left biased media who kind of put up a this umbrella shield to protect Biden from all of his mistakes has kind of collapsed over this, especially when they found the second cache next to his Corvette. Yes. Um, it's kind of interesting to see that the left media, which seems like the majority of the media, uh, are now all of a sudden asking piercing and critical questions of the White House. And I think that's a moment to note that uh, it's sort of a change in how the media is dealing with the president. Yeah. I mean, when literally the only voice of reason or um, not being a Democrat is Peter Ducey over in, in the White House press room. I mean, that's, he's the only guy there for the most part because because the terrible way that the White House press corps operates, which um, it, Breaking Points has talked about this a fair fair bit because Sager, who's one of their, their hosts, is, we used to be part of it, and he always calls out how corrupt and terrible it is because you only have one message going out. You have whatever the, the White House press, press secretary says goes out until Peter Ducey goes viral on Twitter and, and right. gets all sorts of attention that they have to cover. Because it's so unusual. Yeah. You know, the reason the press enjoys constitutional protections for their industry is because they're supposed to help us uh, understand, you know, cut through the propaganda that is going to come out of any government administration, right? So uh, th that's what governments do. They they spin the truth so that it, it benefits uh, their long-term uh, success, right? So the media's job is supposed to cut through that uh, BS, I'll call it, and give us a little bit of a glimpse of what's actually ha happening. And up until now in the Biden administration, I think most outlets are just repeating the talking points that they're given mm -hmm. and even like spinning them further. So it's even more 
propagandized. Uh, you know, Fox is always going to have a opposite reaction oh, yeah. because that's where they're coming from. They're just um, as bad. It's just they're, they're just as bad. <laughs> but at least they're asking the opposite question, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. If we can't, if we can't have quote unquote unbiased, legitimate media covering, at least there, there's a little bit of back and forth. I mean, I am not a fan of Newsmax or, or any of those other outlets that kind of exploded during the Trump administration, but. Uh, at least there's someone there saying something out. So s- people in the middle, like myself, a little WKXL on my own website can can at least say, okay, the, here's what the two sides are saying, putting in between. I've, and I've said this multiple times. Something Ben Shapiro always says is listen to his show and listen to Pod Save America. Somewhere in the middle is the reality of the situation that uh, of what of what's actually going on. Uh, I want I, I to I get your take on what happened with Kevin McCarthy the, this past. A week and a half because I I was conflicted. On one side, I was like, "This chaos is beautiful. I want this to go on forever." I'm they're just a bunch of knuckleheads that just can't get their act together. And but on the other side, I'm like, "Oh God, these people run our country to a certain extent, and they can't even figure out one guy who who can who can run the run Congress as, as the Speaker of the House." I mean, what was your take? Yeah, I, so I guess I have a little bit of a different take. Um, so if it, it would be an interesting exercise if you took all the speeches from the uh, the, Re- the, the the rebels uh, who didn't vote for McCarthy, if you listen to their speeches, which I, I listened to quite a bit of it, I'm a, a, a kind of a junkie for history. So uh, that that 15 rounds of voting on speaker it, that hasn't happened since before the civil war so you know once it passed went past uh you know the the i think it was seven or nine i can't remember exactly um drawing a blank but once it went past the uh the most recent example which was 100 years ago um i really started paying attention so but listening to their speeches they i think there's some benefit do that um normally when you watch c-span there's someone giving a speech and there's nobody in the audience in the house chamber right so they're giving a speech on a on legislation or policy and they're only speaking to the camera that their colleagues aren't even in their seats that was a rare time when the entire house was packed and they had to stay there and listen to the speeches and a lot of them were grandstanding for their own political gain but some of them were pointing out real issues in the governance of the house that need to be fixed and if the outcome was that they had to work an extra three or four days um, actually had to sit and listen um, and the outcome was the rules of the house were positively affected that some of the the rot that has sort of creeped into the rules has been you know removed cut out um, then i think that that's probably uh a long-term benefit and you know it takes a lot of courage to be one of a few doing something but um so you know i i'd like to see more more of that honestly yeah, <laughs> um, yeah not so much the political grandstanding but pointing out the flaws in the system and demanding that they be fixed you know i think that's a good thing yeah that makes a lot of sense i i, I totally get that take and in, in yeah, I mean that. I mean that's one advantage to having a bunch of uh, call them the table throwers in Congress right now that are like, we need to reset. Like I, th- I can't remember if it was I think it was Lauren Boebert have brought up a piece of legislation that was just one page and is 
pushing once again for us to to try and minimize the amount of uh, earmarks that are added onto every little piece of legislation because I think that's it's it's just there's so much pork and just garbage added onto every everything that's put out there nowadays and it's just counterproductive. No one understands what's going on. Yeah, you know, I think one benefit to that whole uh, escapade um, was it sent a signal to the Senate that if they tried to and, and McCarthy after he was elected he he stated this that if the Senate tries to send a, a gigantic omnibus bill to the House and this is what they do uh, unfortunately a little bit of this happens in Concord as well but you take one bill and you you put 30 100 could be different subjects um into the same bill and pass it as you know, like you only get to vote up or down on all those different things and a lot of times there's pork and a lot of spending in, involved so having having mccarthy uh ha- you know he can say that if you send us an omnibus bill that our republican caucus isn't going to support it we'll see how it plays out but at least that's kind of uh you know minimizing those kinds of bills i think would be a good thing um because you know each subject should be voted on up or down new hampshire representative keith amwin thanks so much for joining me it's been a fun conversation Thanks, AJ. This is great. Appreciate it. The New England Take.com to get more from the show, nhtalkradio.com to get more from WKXL. I'm your host, AJ Kirsten, and this has been the New England Take.